We're here. We're live. I'm Julius Caesar Santos. This is Michael Cruz Phelps, aka Matolic. Matolic. Uh, <laughs> and we want to welcome everybody here, uh, all of our voting viewers, to uh, I, this is like our second simulcast. The first time I, I uh, simulcast with Fanatsu, I had Manny Cruz uh, on the air with me. He's here helping out. I really want to thank them for, for agreeing to do this. Uh, I think it's important. I think it's great to be able to sit down with our 2018 gubernatorial candidates and sort of pick their brains and and have genuine conversation with them. Ask them poignant questions and and uh, see what they have to say. And thankfully for us, our gubernatorial candidate, Lulian Guerrero, was able to make it tonight. I know the others, um, they had scheduling conflicts or whatnot. Um, I will say that we did send out the invitation a little bit late, but thank you very much, of course, for, for finding this event important enough to make time to be here. We really appreciate it. I'd like to also thank uh, Fanatu for this uh, opportunity. I think um, whenever there is um, the opportunity for people to be informed mm -hmm. and people to know about the candidates and not just know about the candidates, but know about what the issues yeah. are that they stand for or what their platform is or yeah. what they're going to do um in their administration i think it's very important that there's opportunities like this right. so i just want to thank uh, Fanatu for inviting us and certainly uh, i did make sure that i cleared my calendar so um, i could be here to uh, converse with right. you pretty excited about it too uh, that's fantastic, you know, because uh, I was at the last uh, debate at UOG for the One Guam debate, mm -hmm. and it was a great event, don't get me wrong. Uh, however, because there are so many candidates and because it's a timed event, you, you have very little actual time to kind of express your ideas and your thoughts and, and really flesh them out. And so this is kind of like the, the platform that I was hoping to, to provide for that. Is there anything you wanted to uh, say before we get started? No, I think covered it out okay yeah, great it's good so here we are episode one uh, it's originally supposed to start at 6 p.m we're running late but fortunately we only have one guest here today so we can use up all of the time or maybe not uh, we're really free in today's first episode uh, we're expecting this to be a five-part series and part one will be on the economy and we will dive right into it <laughs> uh, first of all actually let me uh, go to the rules so if we had multiple candidates here the rules were going to be that we have a timer you each have five minutes to answer the questions in each of the subtopics under economy, right? I'll be the moderator, uh, but we don't have any others. So we're kind of, it's the conversation's gonna flow a little bit more freely because the second role is the discussion round. And after the questions, that's when we were gonna give the candidates an opportunity to ask each other questions and, and have a, a civil discourse there. Uh, but since there are no other candidates, I think we can kind of include the discussion round with the Q&A as we move forward and we'll kind of flow organically. And then third, of course, this is a civil political discourse. Uh, we want to acknowledge the Chamorro value of Inafa Maulik, right? Um, and one of the ways to express that is through Afatauta, uh, which basically means we all treat each other as equals here at the table. Uh, we may disagree uh, vehemently on certain subjects, but that's okay. We have the right to do so. The important thing is that we discuss 
our ideas and our beliefs so that we can find what is closest to the truth, mm-hmm. right? Uh, with that said, let's get into the questions here. So I have a first question. I guess we'll kind of go back and forth. Sure. I'll ask her one, and then uh, yeah. if it's appropriate, then you can ask her one. Uh, the debt, we're looking at about $2.7 billion right now. I did some research, looked at the numbers. Is that necessarily a good or a bad thing? Because people hear the number and they automatically think, oh my gosh, we owe so much money, that's terrible, GovGuam is in peril. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that? I think, um, before I begin, I'd just sure. like to maybe say a little um, opening statement. Why I just not? wanted to um, inform the uh, audience that I'm running as governor to better the situation of our lives here in Guam. <clears throat> and I'm running because I really believe that we need to make Guam a safe place. Mm-hmm. We need to make Guam compassionate, fair, and prosperous. And the reason I wanted to say that is those four values and those four vision uh, statements uh, is really um, driven, I think, by the economy. Mm. And it's important for us to protect our economy. And I always, I really believe, Julius, that the less debt we have as an economy, as a community, as an island, uh, the better we are. Mm. So you ask about the debt of 2.7 billion, and the, that debt, I just wanted to be clear, is a debt that's not just from the line agencies of the government, but also the autonomous agencies. It includes all the loans that say GPA, uh, GWA, um, the airport, the port, and also line agency governments, um, the hospital, and so forth that um, have gotten into debt. Um, Debt is not a bad thing. I think we need to understand that in order for us to move forward, sometimes we have to go into debt. Mm. Um, The issue with the debt is, do you have the payment source to pay it? Is your economy strong enough to have the collateral to back it up? Uh, Is your economy uh, prosperous enough that, yes, there's going to be um, a stable financial environment to absorb the debt. If we start looking at more debt than we do with revenues, then I think that's a big problem. If our debt service is high enough, so high that uh, we have more debt than we do have income, then that is a problem. It also uh, is important to realize as to why we go into debt. Mm-hmm. Um, as a government community, I really believe that going into debt or borrowing money or going out in the capital world um, is essential if we're going to do capital improvement projects. Most businesses will um, go borrow money to provide for their equipment, to provide for their building, to provide for their business. It's actually not a very wise and prudent decision to go into debt to fund your operations because that just says, hey, you don't have enough cash flow in your business that you need to borrow money to pay payroll or borrow money to pay uh, returned uh, refunds in in the income tax. Those are kinds of situations that puts up an alert in the, in the financial industry as to why you're going into debt. So 
your question, is it a good thing or a bad thing? There's really no right answer to that. Mm -hmm. You really have to look at why we are going into debt. So uh, borrowing money in the bond market for infrastructure is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, borrowing money, say, to build the hospital is a good thing. But we also have to be uh, innovative and creative in where we're getting those monies, right? You can go in the bond market, go out in the capital, um, or look at federal grants. And I know that uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has many grant opportunities, for example, for infrastructure, for community facilities. I just met uh, Mr. Joe Ben Israel, who's sort of way up there in the USDA, and he is in charge of projects here in Guam. And he was very excited to meet me because being a banker, I know about finance, I know about um, debt, I know about uh, earmarking uh, collateral and earmarking a certain source of payment, which uh, if you do that, then the lender is going to have more trust in your ability to pay back the debt so they can negotiate a lower interest rate. Right. So with the USDA, he informed me that there's increased grant money that has been given to USDA for community facilities projects, for infrastructure, for surface transportation, really these kinds of things that I think uh, Guam needs to ha improve in and, and at a very low, low, low interest rate and knowing if we have a good source of uh, repayment, mm -hmm. then the interest rate even uh, is, can be much more negotiated. So mm -hmm. there are opportunities out there. There's financing out there. There's um, the uh, Small Business Administration is another source of financing that helps um, small businesses and also uh, guarantees uh, the loans for the banks so that the bank's uh, risk is a little bit mitigated so then they can also uh, provide a lower interest rate to the small business. So. Um, I know we were talking about debt, but yeah. I just wanted to... We're providing a context for it. So. Yes, and um, so there's not necessarily um, that we have to go out to uh, borrow money if we uh, stimulate and, and um, improve and enhance our economy. Um, we'll have the resources to... I'd love it if we had a surplus in our, and we have equity as a government and right. capital mm -hmm. that we go to invest and make more money out of that so we can use the interest income from that money to you know fund our capital improvement projects mm -hmm. that's what i would strive for and that's what would make a good strong economy and you know mm -hmm. and and i get excited because i can I can really think of industries that we can have here to provide those revenues so we can get to the greater goal of having a capital surplus. Mm. Well, I'm glad That would excited. be my dream I'm glad as a government. Because we're going to flesh those ideas out a little yeah. bit later on. It's, you're hitting on some, some topics. Did you have a particular question on this subtopic with debt? On the subtopic of debt? Um, no, no, okay, that's say. fine. I have a couple more. Um, you kind of touched on the second one. Is it, how do you plan to curtail or you know bring our debt down and 
uh, I guess in in the same question is is there a way to accelerate repayment of that? Yeah, there is. You know, you go out there and you refinance the uh, the debt, mm -hmm. and uh, when you refinance it, you can refinance it to a lower interest rate. Right. You can refinance it to paying it faster. Um, I think once we stabilize our finances and we start getting revenues, then like I said, if we start getting surplus, the first thing I think we need to do with that surplus is pay down our debt. Right. Um, if we pay down our debt, our cash flow would be a little bit better. Good cash flow is a strong financial position and, and good cash flow would be able to provide more public services to our people, uh, make for more efficiency in our government, uh, by investing in modernizing our government, using technology to increase and improve efficiency. So, like I said in the beginning, the economy drives everything, right? Money drives everything. So, um, as a banker and uh, experience in the finance industry, I think I bring a lot of good skills like that to the table when I become governor. Well, admittedly, as a banker, you definitely know a lot about debt and, and how to get it paid back, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's first for, foremost on your mind. I don't mean that as an insult at all. I, I, you know, that's a good thing in, in my perspective. Um, you talked about uh, refinancing, and to Gita's credit, because we were, we've been in the news a lot. I work at Gita. This, of course, is my, my moonlighting kind of thing, right? Uh, but I mean, that's they've conflated the travel with, with the loans, and, and it's really just... A, I'm looking for objective journalism, but it's really not there. There's definitely a, an angle to it, but that's kind of what our missions have been when we've gone on these bond uh, meetings, not myself personally, but we're going there to try and refinance these loans to get a, a, an extremely lower interest rate, and we've been successful at that. And uh, I just felt I needed to inject that because we've been getting pretty beat up, and that's something that you mentioned is, is one of the ways to help curtail debt. There yeah. is no singular answer. You talked about all these different ways, making the government more efficient so we, we can reduce costs there. and. It's, it's, it's pretty complex and comprehensive. I appreciate that answer. And, and also to curtail debt is just don't make any more debt, right? Yeah. You just like... That's a tricky part, though. I know. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And yeah it is. That's why I think uh, if we focus on how we can diversify our economy, get more jobs, more jobs for our people means uh, greater buying power for our people, greater buying power uh, translates into increased revenue in our general fund, and then you, you get the money, then you don't have to go borrow to you know, build a building or buy, uh, do your capital improvement projects. So, so the trajectory, are we looking at further debt? In the future, is that where we're keep would, going, or mm, I would prefer not to. But I'm, I'm saying, are are we headed that direction right now? Well, it could be if you put in the leadership that doesn't understand finances. Um, with that said, your with uh, your question said, like we're we're going to be repaying this debt for quite some time, right? I think I looked at the chart and it said by like 2047, and it's an spectacular amount but that's accumulation from and again I, I forgot to put the caveat at the front of this subtopic of debt we're not looking at it as at any administration particular administration's fault because the government of Guam has been borrowing money for a long time and it's accumulated over time uh, and and your response to that as far as getting the right administration in there who understands uh, fiscal responsibility I mean that's 
that's definitely something that, that the people uh, would want, and we look forward to that uh, in all of our candidates as they, as they vie for the position of governor. Um, did you have any more questions on debt? We can move on to the deficit. Okay. We're good? Okay. And you were talking a lot about it, and I was just like, oh, I want to ask her questions on this. And it's in the next part. So why do we have this shortfall that we're facing now uh, with regard to especially the uh, tax reform in Washington and how it affects Guam? I think there's a lot of people who don't really understand that. They just hear the $65 million. 67. And 67 million. Well, you know, because we are a U.S. colony, we, we don't have our... Um, self-determination yet. We don't really have a strong voice in what we want to do. Mm. Uh, so we're under the federal government, the U.S. federal government, and we really have no say. We don't even vote for the president. Our congressional delegate is a non-voting delegate. So we don't have that voice that um, provides for our own control and destiny. And until we uh, until we have our self-determination, that's going to continue on. So as a result of uh, President Trump's uh, Tax Reform Act, we, because we mirror the tax code, we also uh, are um, applied to that. We also have to be part of that without any say. And uh, what that does is it uh, decreases, it decreased the corporate taxes from like 35% to 21%. And it also decreases income taxes for our people, I think at an average of 4000 a year. Mm -hmm. So, um, which I think is, is a good thing in the sense that um, if the corporate people take that savings, right, and invest it back into their businesses to expand their businesses, it would create jobs. Um, if the people with the, with the income tax savings buy and use their monies to go out there, buy whatever it is that they need, and even maybe more because they have more buying power, then that increases the revenue. So, so the thing that's lacking with that decrease in the 67 million is what is the net effect of the other side of the equation, right. which is expanding uh, your businesses, increasing job opportunities, more revenues to the general fund, more buying power. That part of the equation has never been uh, exposed, or I don't even know if they've done the analysis, but I think um, you need to do that mm -hmm. in order to really have an accurate figure of what the net effect is right. of the decrease in the 67 million. And, you know, I've spoken to some of the fiscal people, um, and they said they were going to be doing that, but mm -hmm. I haven't heard that. So, not, not to interrupt you, but um, you just sparked another question here that uh, I, I didn't have written down. You're talking about the 67 million, so that figure is based on gross on on what the government is expecting to shortfall, but they have not tried to get a, a calculation or a metric of what. Like you said, the other side of the effect is of, of the businesses having more money, the people having more money in their pockets, and what they're going to be spending out there, which essentially equals taxable revenue by the government. Yes. Right? They can recapture it. Because yeah. we, we had a similar situation back in, in Reagan's 
uh, term. And a lot of people are kind of conflating the two with the trickle-down economics and giving more money up top, and it's supposed to, which I don't think is an accurate description. Um, and then you talked about that other side, and so there are no numbers that reflect that yet. We have, we have no... Um, it's a gross... A decrease in the general fund right. is what what is the 67 million. But you know, Julius, I I always believe that before you actually implement any kind of tax policies, you really need to look at what other options do you can you do without having to increase the taxes, right? Because mm-hmm. as a result of that 67 million uh, decrease, they uh, the, the tax policy was changed from right. a 4% to a 5% GRT right. without really looking at what other kinds of options can you do in lieu of tax increases. And You're getting a little bit ahead of me now. I know, I just yeah. kind of wanted to flesh this out just a little bit more. Uh, so just on that, that first part, from, from the layman's uh, perspective, because economic development, finance, on the $67 million. <laughs> Essentially, this, this uh, I don't know what else to call it, but this tax reform out of Washington. Call it uh, the Trump Act. The Trump you know Act. how he did the Affordable Health Care Act? He said it's the Obama Act, the okay. Obamacare. The Obamacare. We'll so say Trump the tax. Trump tax. <laughs> for, or for Trump to, your taxes. For, for, for keeping things simple, right? Just to keep things simple here. Um, so the, the layman term is more money in the people's pocket, less in the government. Is that... More money in the pe- with this reform? Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. you could say that. But then, you know, it's a trade-off, right? The people have more money in their pockets, but now the government doesn't have as much money to spend on all of its programs, and now they social have to do services. this allocation, whether it be social services or everything else. People, I think people like to use social services first because that is like that urgency and that kind of... And unfortunately, to me, it seems like it, it's like, oh, this is just a bad thing because now social services are going to be reduced. But like what Lou is saying on the other side is, well, now, perhaps, but the, the numbers haven't been done, is mm-hmm. there could be a good percentage of these people on social services who could probably now get jobs. Because we've seen some of the, the major companies in the United States, they've started to give their employees raises up to $15 hour, uh, uh, per hour without having to have the state or the federal government come in and say your minimum wage is now. I think Disney is the most recent one who said they're working on a plan, so by 2020, all of their... their uh, Incoming or uh, what do we call it? Uh, basic wage, basic wages would be at fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah, so, but um, I just wanted to mention that sure. a lot of those corporations did them before it before, before those taxes even took effect. Right, mm-hmm. because then their expenses, you know, would would it it has a tax effect while you're thirty five percent tax mm-hmm. while they are thirty five percent tax and they get, give the fifteen million their uh, taxable. Uh, uh, liability becomes less, right? Okay. Because they give gave them out to the employees. Right. So, and I don't want to get into to, anyway. to the minimum wage debate because that's something totally different, <laughs> right? Uh, but you were now talking about uh, the government's plan to raise taxes in in light of this impending uh, shortfall. And you can go ahead and continue from there. We're talking about raising the GRT from four to five, and then now we have this impending two percent sales tax. Your, your thoughts yes. on that? Yes. So. Um, before you actually do that, raise those taxes, I think you should look at 
and every business does this. They have accounts receivables and they have, those are potential revenues and what can you do to get those, decrease those tax, I mean, those accounts receivables, right? So you can get more. But I don't think we can completely, the way it's written, I don't think we can completely delink. We have to, um, for transition purposes, stay okay. for like five years, I think, till we can transition into a complete delinkage, yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah, part of how we would achieve those results. So you'd say like a transition period? Yeah. There would have to be, okay. yeah. Did you have a follow-up for that? No. Okay. Um, I just had a quick one on uh, as far as tax increases. I, I was watching the public hearings, and um, this is probably going to make me look like a bad person, but uh, there was a public hearing on the um, raising of what they like to call the sin tax, right? You put this negative word on a tax for alcohol and tobacco uh, as part of the solution for, for the shortfall. Um, I personally don't agree with it. Uh, my logic is that I look at a small pool, relatively small pool of, of, of customers for these products, and you want to raise the taxes on them. It's like, okay, right? But the logic on, on the raising the tax side was we'd be saving people's lives. I agree with that, sure. But then the, what that leads to is people quitting because they're deterred because the prices are so high. But then what that does is it starts this uh, downward spiral of now we got to raise the taxes again because less people are buying, we're, we're collecting less taxable revenue, more people quit, raise the prices again. And ultimately you are punishing, in my eyes, in, in you know, my perspective, you're punishing this individual who has the free right to choose whether or not they want to have a drink or want to have a cigarette. And we're making them, we're vilifying that person, we're vilifying the products. And it's almost like virtue signaling just so that we can raise the taxes on that, so that we can feel good about ourselves, we're collecting money. Uh, that's my thoughts on that. I, I'm not saying that everybody has to agree with that, but my logic on it is again, you're punishing this customer who has the free right to choose it, and it's yeah. such a small pool. We can't depend on this pool to, I guess, kind of help fill the void of that shortfall. Yeah. So just to let you know that when I was a senator, mm -hmm. I was the one that authored the Healthy Futures yeah. Fund. And at that time, I think, man, I think our taxes, are, we were the lowest tax in the whole U.S. Mm -hmm. on tobacco. So <laughs> we, um, I supported the Healthy Futures Fund, which is to increase taxes mm -hmm. on tobacco. And... Um, there's been a study following the um, the smoking uh, behavior of young people, mm -hmm. and it showed that the young people uh, smoking decreased. Mm -hmm. and And I know that uh, the experts are saying it's because they raised the taxes, right? And so, being a nurse, I totally support that mm -hmm. because I just want to say that tobacco is the only legal drug that is known to kill people. And and that to me is something that we need to be really, really very strong about, at least for me from sure, my perspective. Yeah. So your thing about the the increase uh, in taxes in taxes, then these got, these people will not, you know, smoke yeah. and so forth. So the revenue source is going to be Yeah, and I'm down. just looking at it purely from an economic sense. Like Okay, so because they're not buying now the cigarettes that cost ten dollars a pack or mm -hmm. not ten dollars a, a carton and now cost thirty dollars yeah. which is like 40. those are numbers that i'm just throwing out mm -hmm. 
So they have more money now to say go to the movies, go out to dinner, right. buy you know buy their bicycles, save to. So that money that they were using to buy cigarettes mm-hmm. will will still be there, still but it's also. going it's to be used yeah. in other areas. See, now, that's that's a great counter to mine because you didn't go the health route. You you went to another economic uh, counter, and I think that's a great counter. But just to 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 backtrack just a little bit, I. I was a smoker myself before. Me too. And uh, when, when they passed the no smoking, I was happy with that, you know, because I would come home and I would just yes. reek of, I'd smell like an ashtray because smoke would be filling the room. So I yeah. was okay with all the, the, the safety precautions that were put in place. You know, you can't smoke near, near uh, entrance or exit. Feet, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? All those things I think were great. Um, but I think as we get closer to the source and, and punishing the individual for choosing to, to either imbibe an alcohol or to have a cigarette, I think that's not a good focus and not a good place to, or not good logic to to raise or you know to raise or lower taxes on on something where you're like kind of virtue signaling on that. We we have the regulations in place, the taxes are there, and to continue to raise it just based on that logic, I think is is not fair to the customers. The individual has the freedom of choice to choose that. Yeah. So so you don't really. Smokers, the target there isn't isn't for the smokers who are already smokers to quit. It's the, the incoming, it, right? Yes, yeah. it's the younger those that haven't sure, yet started. Yeah. So give them better options. Um, so I just, I mean, you're right that you know I totally believe in in choice. I believe in in. I mean, we lived in a government that's democracy and free freedom, right? And people die to protect our freedom. Absolutely. And yeah. so that's very dear to my heart, too. Um, but uh, I think regulations can be very stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I think, a balance. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. So um, obviously, uh, I'm a little less well-versed in economic stuff. but. With taxes, I don't know how that would work. Um, what what if uh, it was just the Im- incoming like imported alcohol and tobacco? Like what would what if we had the tax on that and then we were able to like kind of stimulate a homegrown like tobacco industry or you know alcohol distilleries here, you know, and not have a tax on a local product? Like yeah, I need to do more research in that because I'm not sure what the comparative yeah. uh, taxes are. And how would you? I don't know how would you enforce that. Oh, you're smoking homegrown tobacco, therefore we're not going to tax. Or you would have to yeah. purchase it like, at, at the retail at the retail level. Yeah. I think is what he's talking That's, about. Yeah, These cigarettes are manu- literally grown and manufactured on Guam versus yeah. we're importing other cigarettes. But, and you know, really in hole. in smoking, really it's more the preservatives, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and so forth. The arsenic and yeah. all those things. Yeah. So I, my grandmother, I remember when I was growing up. She grew her own tobacco in the backyard, yeah, and time. she made us as small kids. We had to roll her tobacco mm-hmm. and all. And she lived to be ninety-two years old, right. and so, you know, she smoked pure tobacco. Mm-hmm. So, that's just the example of. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, tobacco, even the process versus the organic, right? Yeah. Well, and and just pure tobacco is even used medicinally and interesting. Yeah, herbal stuff. So. 
And, and and don't feel bad about not being versed in. I mean, she's probably no. Well, I'm, she's clearly the most versed here at yes, this table. I'm, right? I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm just coming in with yeah. what the questions hey, I have know, as, you know, a, as a lay person. I never thought about as that. a worker, yeah. as a, as a farmer. Oh, your perspective is so. very important. Yeah, Good. Um, if we can have an industry that grows their own tobacco, that yeah. would be good for the economy. I, I think so too, and I, I would support that. And you know, I'm, I'm a fitness coach. I work part time at a gym, and I, I try to empower people by improving their quality of life through embracing fitness. And here I am supporting alcohol and tobacco. <laughs> you're, you're supporting choice. You're supporting. A Thank person's you. Yes, choice. I'm supporting choice. Yes, I am the perspective would choice. be right. The perspective yeah. would be, oh, you're just supporting alcohol and tobacco, but it's choice, the freedom to choose. Um, there are many others, but we can, uh, I guess, move on now to the next one. Probably one of my favorites in this in this list: economic expansion. Right. I want to start off with uh, the uh, two letters that have been the the uh, bane of at least my existence for the past couple of months. QC, the dreaded qualifying certificate, has gotten such a bad rap. Um, I understand that it needs to but be could override no, our no, qualifications. We, they or... had to create the language. The language had to be passed into law. You have to follow the law. You know. Yeah. Um, are you saying that somebody can just come in and say, okay, Change you don't meet the we'll requirements? Say, yeah, say there's you're some my friend. or something. <laughs> you're, you're my friend, you can have the QC. Yeah, and uh, that perception is understandable, right? Because, mm -hmm. again, there's huge sums of money, you know, at, at stake here. Yeah. But I will tell you, I work with these people at Gita, and they are some sharp people. Um, one of our guys, Johnson Nicholas, he's like the perfect guy that you would want in your collections. I mean, that's the kind of guy that he is, right? And so... In that, I can say you can trust these people when they're doing their job as far as ensuring that these companies that have applied for the qualifying certificate are actually in compliance because the interest is not for them. The interest is to make sure that our community is benefiting. They're benefiting because they're making a profit so long as they're, we'll use the hotels as an example because that's the main one, so long as their hotel occupancy rate is at about 75-80%, they're pretty good, right? So we want to make sure the community is getting what it's supposed to be getting from that, aside yeah. from the jobs it created. I mean, we have stipulations on how many full-time jobs that you must have, you know, versus part-time jobs. So it's all, it's, the language is there. It's outdated, admittedly, and we want to update it, right? Mm -hmm. But the language is there to protect the community. To, I'm, I'm glad that we can have these discussions because we never really get to do it. The newspaper just says, ah, oh, Gita's bad. They're giving money away. It's like, <laughs> we're not giving money away. This is money that would have never existed. They brought $100 million in. The special hotel qualifying certificate says, we'll give you 10% back. So they get $10 million back on their $100 million investment, which didn't exist on Guam before. So okay. it looks like a giveaway, but it's not really. It's, a, it's an abatement I, or a rebate. And I know also that there are QCs for um, corporations like, like the duty-free retailers, but one of, the, one of the requirements is that they have to sell a local um, local products. Perhaps for the retail. I need to look more into that. Yeah, I've been because I remember, I remember, I don't know whether it's changed, but there's a certain percentage of um, products that has to be uh, local, mm. locally um, made products. Yeah, made in Guam, which yeah. is another program that Gita manages the Guam product sale, but we don't need to get into that. Um, I see, now I'm getting excited because I love, that's part of what I love. Um, local entrepreneurs, how are we going to help them out? We have a lot of people here who want to start businesses. They want to, to be in charge of their own destiny. They have dreams. They have passions, whether it's 
providing a service or creating products. What are your plans to help our local entrepreneurs, if any? Well, you know, we have resources to help these people. Um, we have resources to help the local entrepreneurs. Um, start off by um, training them on how to start a business and work with the Small Business Development Center here in the university. Great we, people there. Great yes, people there. and so they come, they get trained on, okay, well, what is your product? Uh, what is your business plan? What, what are you thinking in terms of financing? How much equity do you need to put in? They teach them about financing right. and marketing and how to go out there and sell your product. Um, and a lot of bis small businesses that want to start, they, they're excited about their product and they think their product is really, really good, which it probably is really, really good. But if you don't have the business plan, the marketing plan, you know, operational plan, financing, it's not going to work. It's not going to succeed. So the Small Business Development Center here is very key. We also have women in business programs where they work very closely with women entrepreneurs. Um, the bank financing uh, industries have partners partnered with the Small Business Development Center to help people with these business plans. So one of the things before you go to the bank to present, you know, or ask for money to um, finance their business, they have to have their business plan and their marketing plan and so forth. And we counsel them and advise them on it. Um, also, there are a lot of financial uh, aids programs the uh, Small Business Administration provides guaranteed programs, not just for small business, but even for corporations, guaranteed programs to the banks, which means that if uh, the business defaults, the bank, uh, Small Business Administration will pay a certain percent mm. of that default. So it um, encourages banks to provide the financing with the small business and to be able to take the risk. Part of my ignorance on this, but are you guys also uh, aligned with the uh, SSBCI? Yes. Okay. Because I know Gita also has that as part of our. Yes, members. and actually, we helped Gita in terms of the um, the requirements, oh, okay. and we helped them start the program. And we're the oh, very nice. first. Uh, bank of Guam was the very first bank that took advantage of those programs, and it's a really good program. Yeah. It's a totally guaranteed program. Um, so again, that was under the Obama administration to help stimulate small businesses flourish. So uh, we did that. Then Saipan also followed. Okay. Saipan it has that same program. And I think initially Guam had like $15 million and okay. we took advantage of that. So there's the SBA, the S S SSBCI, S SSBCI. Small Business yeah. Incentive Credit Initiative. Agency. Yeah, 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 something, something like, like that. that. Anyway, it's, really long. it's very long. So <laughs> we worked very closely with Gita mm. to um, get that program going. Once it got going, it was really good. So with that program, Bank of Guam will um, approve the loan. We do all the vetting and stuff. We give it to Gita to look at. Mm -hmm. They approve it. Then once they approve it, then... Um, the money is there. Okay, good. And just for everybody watching out there, the SSBCI, which is uh, one of Gita's programs, 
we the SSBCI will guarantee up to 75 or 75 percent of your loan up to five hundred thousand dollars so anything more than that you're on your own <laughs> but well, it's a great program we've seen uh, well, AutoSpot I, I think Proa yeah they the, take advantage of mm -hmm. it and they um, you know it's geared towards the small business yeah. that's why yeah. it's that five hundred thousand and isn't that crazy you know you sit here thinking like five hundred thousand small business and even when you get into the like the millions it's still considered like small business or maybe maybe medium do we have any medium-sized businesses on Guam maybe the Bank of Guam I don't know because I know like a lot of our major corporations globally are considered small businesses yes right? in our we're a two billion in our economy yeah. yes but in our our bank we have a two billion it's a two billion dollar uh, industry mm -hmm. for us here um, but in the whole community of banks we're like pretty small right, yeah. <laughs> but I think we're considered um, medium to big players okay. now. Well, that's pretty so, cool. so anyway the there's also other opportunities um, you know like uh, the Dave Santos Act which helps uh, the small businesses in their taxes mm. there's a certain um, amount that you can get exempted from for taxes with the uh, small businesses and that helps them in terms of uh, providing more um, money for their for their operations. And once they get bigger, then you know the exemption goes away. But basically, uh, there is that Dave Santos Act that uh, allows you to be exempted from GRT if you. I think right now, if you if you make a hundred thousand or less. Mm that money, that 100000 is exempted from GRT. Okay, interesting. Um, you made me think of another question here, which is, you speak to a lot of business owners, I'm sure, on a regular basis. What is one of the most common complaints that you get with regard to um, the government side of, of people starting up businesses or operations and whatnot? Um, the biggest problem is their uh, permitting. Mm. is really really long and delayed mm. so like if somebody uh, if a small business was say renovating a building and they had to get a business uh, I mean a permit occupancy permit sometimes it takes three four five months to get it and you're losing money you're losing ability to make revenue so mm. it's more um, the uh, efficiency of the uh, permitting process um, that's the biggest thing that we hear. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, I used to work at the front office and um, Governor Calvo took a trip to China and we asked, he asked them that same question and the, the Chinese government officials like, oh yeah, three days, we're good. And, you know, and people were like, oh my God, then we get, but it's like we have to remember they're a totally different type of government. You know, it's, they're essentially communists so they can kind of just snap their fingers and make it so they don't have this bureaucratic red tape that they kind of have to go through, right? Because uh, we, we, and to, the, to this administration's credit, they've really been trying to look at that particular situation and trying to figure out the most effective and efficient way to, um, to, to manage it. it. Even Gita's, you know, tried to take a look at it and, and provide some assistance to DPW because right now that's where the one-stop permit center is. It's not a one-stop business licensing center because for your business license, you still need to go to, to Revin Tax. Um, and so how I would deal with that? That's what I was leading into. Is um, okay. So it's really very commonsensical. 
those employees that work the process at that level of the permitting, I would take them mm -hmm. and I would uh, use their knowledge uh, of how that process works, right? Mm -hmm. So they're the ones that work the process of business, they're I mean, permitting. Yeah. Yes. And you say, if it takes 10 steps to do a certain thing, can we do it in three steps? Mm -hmm. And if we can do it in three steps, right? The employees will be the ones to get the solution. Mm -hmm. They're going to be the ones because they're working they're the it. They the know ground. exactly yeah. how they know where they need to improve, right? So as a manager supervisor, I would I would um, go to that level right there to improve their work processes. And it does several things, right? If you improve your work process, you improve efficiency, cost is reduced, right? So now instead of 10 steps, there's three steps, so cost is reduced. And more beneficial is how do you think that employee would feel? Mm -hmm. That employee will feel recognized, acknowledged that it's their ideas that made their work area successful because the employees, for example, like at the driver's license, I feel for them, right? They, they don't wanna, they don't wanna delay the license. They're also, you know, they're also want to make sure that those uh, processes are made faster. Mm -hmm. So if you take them, you acknowledge them for their skills, you recognize them, then they feel important. You, you tell them what the purpose of their job is and how important their job is and this is how they contribute. You now have instilled more pur pur purpose in their work. They're going to be also more productive. Mm -hmm. So I've tried this at our bank and that's, it's, it's working. It, and you know, you guys heard it, it's quality improvement process, yeah. continuous quality improvement process. Um, uh, there's other concepts behind that whole right. thing, yeah. yeah. And I, I like your perspective on that because I don't think that the, the individuals at, at Revan Tax are oblivious to the lines that are before them, right? They, no, I'm sure they, really would, I'm them, sure they yeah. would like to be um, empowered to, to figure out more efficient ways to do things like that. That's, that's pretty good. Wow. I just keep thinking about the guy that takes your pictures. <laughs> there was an old guy when I went there, so he didn't even say smile, just sat there and was like, oh, all right. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't he say one, two, three, he didn't say cheese. <laughs> and and I, think, I have the worst ID picture ever. I don't know oh, if man, they only okay. have, we'll compare. I don't know if they only have one camera. I don't know if they bought another camera. Mm. The last show. time I was there was only one, but you know, that was a couple years like, ago. I was thinking, oh my gosh, yeah. what if that camera dies? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should ask like everybody in Revan Tax, like, who really likes to take pictures? You, you're good at selfies. Come over here. You got the talent. <laughs> I no, just but want to bring serious, a bit if, of you, if you have that kind of attitude and that kind of, um, you know, thinking on how you're going to manage your employees, mm -hmm. that'll work. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a lot. Uh, it's it's going to take some challenges. Mm -hmm. It's also a a rethinking, right? right. Changing the culture, uh, attitude, and so forth. Mm -hmm. I would also look at, you know, they always say, oh, they say this where government employees don't really care about their job, you know, you hear I, that? I, yeah, no, I don't think that's true. No, I don't. Yeah. It, they're either, you know, 
they they're you know like you don't take a person that doesn't smile or is open to put them on the front line right because that's customer service mm-hmm. you you put that person where they will succeed so it's a matter of fitting mm-hmm. the person for the right job mm-hmm. and that might be something that people overlook right as far as trying to assess how to improve the, the workplace because that's something I never really thought of and you would think I would being like PR you're absolutely <laughs> right you want to take the most pleasant person and put them up front to deal with people right and somebody yeah. who would prefer to be put them in know, research yeah, or yeah, you know yeah. put them in I don't know it's transit like, or something like you said your what was your term in there commonsensical that was a good one I don't know if that's a word but <laughs> that's okay we'll, we'll use it here on the show um so. I'm trying to think of any other um, aspects of the local entrepreneur because I just have one more and that's and I guess they kind of go hand in hand is industry diversification right now the pillars are tourism and federal spending and I, I guess the third leg I don't know what the third leg would be um, but uh, when you when you break down the job markets we have service retail construction government um, and we don't really have any outstanding any other outstanding uh, sectors when, when you look at the, the job markets on Guam. What would you do to help diversify industry on Guam? Um, and, and what types of industries do you see? I mean, you mentioned one earlier, a data center, which I think is great. Go ahead. I think I would look at also telecommunications. Mm-hmm. I would look at... In, in, in what sense as far as telecommunications? The whole technology... Um, like beyond uh, a cell phone company type thing. Yeah. Yeah, because when I hear this, sometimes I just think, oh, instead of uh, like an Indian accent or a Mexican accent, you're going to hear Chamorro accent. Which would be cool, <laughs> right? Somebody from Vermont <laughs> calling their telecommunication center. Like, Have a talent. Have caller ID. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. We'll let you continue. Um, so when you look at diversifying your economy, you look at what are the natural resources within your community, right? Mm-hmm. And our natural resources is land, water, the ocean, and human, mm-hmm. our human resources. So I would look at workforce development. I would look at, you know, training people here on island to do jobs that um, are a little bit not as accessible, for example, in healthcare alone, right? Why can't we train people in radiology mm-hmm. technology right? to man and to, to uh, help with the diagnosis of patients? Um, for land, I would really look at agriculture. Why can't we start thinking about more uh, crops to be grown here, whether you use the land or hydroponic or all those other different kinds. But why can't we do that so we don't have to import bananas that cost more and we can grow our own bananas, that kind of thinking. Mm. Uh, Sweet potatoes, you know, more um, organically grown products that is healthier for our people. And then we can get to a point where if we're overproducing, we can export it, mm-hmm. right? Into the Marianas, the Micronesian, our own area here of export and import. Right. Then the other thing that I talk a lot about is aquaculture. It's a $7 billion industry that we haven't really totally exhausted. Um, and I get excited when I talk about that 
because the opportunity is there and we just haven't taken advantage and we can take advantage, work with the University of Guam, maybe GCC and what I was thinking to diversify and grow that expansion and economy is start from the high schools or even middle school, start teaching um, our kids how to grow fish, mm. right? And so um, in high school, they get much more training, more detailed training. Um, and then when they graduate, you give them a pot of um, a slab of um, t a tank and they can grow their own tilapia, shrimp, whatever, mm. start selling it, then they start learning how to market it and, and do the business plan and then help them with the financing so they then become an entrepreneur for growing fish. And the other reason I'm very excited about it is Guam is considered a non-pathogenic environment yeah. mm -hmm. by World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. In Asia, it isn't. So we have a whole market of Asia out here that are just dying for good non-pathogenic fish and products. So why can't we have mm -hmm. an industry like that, grow that, ship it and sell it to Asia. You mind if I add to what you were saying? Because you, you talked on two things that I've actually um, had the privilege of, of being able to look into working at Gita because both agriculture and uh, aquaculture are on our QC program and they're not being uh, uh, taken advantage of enough, right? Um, it's not to say that, it's just to say that people haven't really been trying to tap into that. So with respect to agriculture, uh, I'm really interested in the hydroponic aspect. Uh, aspect considering our, our our weather right fortunately we haven't had a storm since uh, I know. On, <laughs> Oh, sorry. so yeah knock on wood that's fine um, but still we want to we want to consider the elements and indoor like when you look at Taiwan's model because Guam is very finite piece of land rather than constant expansion because it can take up a huge footprint at the very least with with uh, hydroponics you can you're indoors you can control the environment and you can build up versus going out so you, you make the footprint a little bit smaller but yet you can still and then different levels like you said you can grow sweet potatoes on one specialized fruits on another like strawberries or whatnot because we have that advantage of controlling the technology then you talk about aquaculture Guam like you said we're a pathogen free zone uh, Gita's gone out and we went to go see the, uh, the, in the shrimp Hawaii? farm in Hawaii no here uh, we have oh yeah our shrimp farms here oh my goodness the shrimps are like they're huge they're like <laughs> This I've never seen a shrimp that big live, and you know, and it's uh, it's just it was such a beautiful thing to see to know that we have that. But like you said, it's unfortunate we're unable to tap into that seven billion dollar industry. And um, I think your 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 model was was very realistic. Rather than how can we immediately start to feed the seven billion dollar industry to tap into it, is we need to start getting our locals into it, get that buy-in, get people trained up. How do we start supplying for the locals first? And that will set yes. the stage and set the model for expansion and exporting. Right? And you know, um, the hotels, right? Restaurants, they want to. Uh, mm, absolutely. They want local produce, organic right? local products mm -hmm. and so forth. And tilapia and, you know, fish. I mean, shrimp, but also you can grow the fry, right? just get the fry and sell them to Asia. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's what, um, don't quote me on this, but I believe that's what the, the uh, individuals at the shrimp farm were talking about is that's really the what 
they would do is they would sell the the parents or whatever the fry to Asia and then um, and you can sell them for a lot yeah it's and like constantly gold. because once we send them there they're healthy but then they'll get sick so we keep supplying them mm. with the with the healthy shrimp <laughs> anyway <laughs> so fish. that's sort of diversifying Absolutely. the economy yeah. Yeah. i mean you know it's and, and that's not only is it diversifying but it's it's addressing the need to to be more self-sufficient right through locally grown and locally uh, raised products if you will food especially food right because people are always going to want to eat yeah. absolutely even yeah. when they're on diets yep <laughs> and uh, a lot of our food is coming from elsewhere right now so yeah. <laughs> well i mean you know and we, we also need to empower our farmers because uh, coming from a creative background working you know in radio and in theater and, and and in media in general there are a lot of artists out there with really great concepts great ideas great vision what they're lacking is that entrepreneurial um influence and experience so they don't know how to take their concept and put it into the market uh, and same thing that we see with with a lot of farmers not all of them some farmers are very savvy and they've they've got it right they're 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 self-sufficient but there are a lot of farmers out there who also need that education need to be empowered and 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 need help in getting into the market mm -hmm. i mean uh, one example is some farmers will be so specialized at one um, product if you will that uh, it's difficult for them to grow something else or they, they there's there's an unwillingness to explore new and so even when their product is either out of season or it's overstocked so now they're stuck right they, they, they can't diversify and they can't meet the demand they still have that singular product and so that's areas where we can kind of help out. help yeah, yeah with that I mean again there's no singular s solution to to any of our problems any of our issues um, and I, I cut you off to go off there in a long time. <laughs> what, did you have any others, or was was that? I mean, that was that was a lot. Did you have any others for industry diversification, or um, other than you know the data center that we right. talked about? Yeah. Um, there's discussions about ecosystem Silicon Valley kind of yeah. concept. You yeah. know, again, working with the the technology and mm -hmm. advance and advances. There's also opportunities where you can. Um, provide like a a um, area where you can um, have all these small businesses to decrease their overhead um, when they're developing their ideas uh, and have common sharing of space and and operations like share conference rooms share and that way you're helping out the small business get on its feet mm, so absolutely yeah. it's a lot of ways to do that but um, the industry of agriculture, aquaculture, I'm excited about. Um, and the technology, the data center. Uh, we could also do free trade uh, in our ports, mm -hmm. free trade zones in our ports where we can um, do transshipment and distribution in a, in a tax-free environment. And again, that, that's going to be helpful for um, people that, that you know, um, export their, their products, products. Yeah. so you say free trade zone at the port how does that affect the jones act or yeah i don't think you know jones act is shipping more right mm -hmm. so um transshipment you can transship of course through ships so so um if um if a ship comes and you want to transship it ship it back to their foreign country because what happens sometimes they come here 
and there's nothing to ship back. Right. So that makes it very costly for our um, products, okay. and the cost of goods goes up. So um, it, it may have some impact, but um, but I'm not too sure. Yeah. I, and I've heard that before. I've spoken to some individuals who work in, in the shipping industry, and they say what the the challenge you just mentioned is is more difficult than the Jones Act itself is we are unable to fill the ships going back to where they're coming from uh, and we see a similar problem in, in a couple of the airlines that have pulled out they pulled out they had no problem bringing tourists here they weren't able yeah. to fill their seats or even get half the plane full on the way back so it just wasn't viable for them right. to maintain that so that's something that I, even in the shipping right yeah you're saying that's so we can thing. do like fish transshipments or that's the one thing that I've thought about where you know the ships come in we transship it to um, or the fishing boats come in transship it over to their areas Asia Pacific mm -hmm. and so forth um, using those those ships that come here and and uh, drop off the their the goods right and then use that ship to ship it back. Whatever it is we're buying on Alibaba or whatever, they come and drop it off. <laughs> and, and really, you're, you know, when we talk about agriculture and aquaculture, and we're running, we're just a few minutes left here, so I want to get this in. Um, we look at, Gita always looks at manufacturing and what can Guam do, and you talked about our, our, you know, we have to look at what our natural resources are. And when it comes to, to manufacturing and production, it's really a lot of like software kind of things. So you mentioned Silicon Valley type industries on Guam. So what can we really produce that would be agricultural goods and aquaculture goods? And that's probably something we should look more into as far as what we can export now and how we can fill those ships so that we can make their trip to Guam more, more viable for their businesses because that will only help us. Yeah, or we don't have to ship to Asia, right? We can ship into the Marianas Islands. Absolutely. And Micronesian Islands. We yeah. can we can exchange goods, sure, yeah. right? Because rye is really known for their tangerine. Why can't we, you right. know, why can't they export that imported here? You know, um, Rhoda is known for their sweet potatoes, right? Um, Yap is their beetle nut. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of different. Right. Uh, Pompeii the... is their Sakao. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The U.S. might have issues with that. No, just Guam. And the <laughs> okay, I see what you're saying. No, that, that'll be neat. It's like our own little niche of commerce here, right, between the islands. And, and uh, that sounds exciting when you think about the goods that can be exchanged just within our islands. So we just have a few minutes left. Uh, I, I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of, you know, freestyle, is there anything that you wanted to address? Uh, um, anything you wanted just, to say to the voting audience? Yeah, just there? thank you for the opportunity and hope that uh, you enjoyed this uh, conversation. I'm really glad Julius is here and also Mike because it kind of stimulated the conversation because I think it would look kind of um, strange if, if I was just, just talking, talking to myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I thought that the ideas that were discussed here and the issues that were discussed here were really very substantive and, and very creative. And that's one of the things I'm excited about um, when I become governor is I would, I would form some task force, even for economic expansion, and get 
these ideas mm. going and uh, working with both the private and public sectors to you know get the ideas implement them talk about how we can do it how is it going to benefit us how is it going to benefit our community and and so forth so i'm really excited about that um and uh Fenatu, uh is a is a good uh opportunity I even have it now on my podcast, so. And she's gonna add expose too. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot for her to take in, but it's a, it's a, it's a. We're doing collaboration simulcast, so my podcast is expose. Oh, okay, sorry. No, that's okay. I didn't want to like you know interrupt you or whatever. It's they're doing us a great service by being here and you know allowing their their listening audience, their voting audience to to. hear your ideas and, and some of the plans and strategies. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize again that, you know, everything is driven by the economy. Mm-hmm. And uh, in our quest to have a Guam that is safe, compassionate, fair, and prosperous, it's all driven by the economy. Um, safety is an issue. Um, uh, fairness is an issue. And how do we, how are we understanding the people? We have Ihinanganga independent guahan, para ba ina farmatanga yaman tomorrow, para tatuli tati diretsota komo unnashon gihilutano. Gini minet gut niha yamanyanata, dani guinezata nui famago umtamotna. Ina keke farmanungo, dani keke farnet don todo i tatosiha ni manyasaga giininatano. Para tanat let fetna ida guahan ni todo i nina senyata. Kosiki senyata fan latla maulit motna. Fanatsu. Hita lak mon.